Well, as you think of those disciples, after three years of being with Jesus, after all the tumult of Easter, Good Friday, Easter Day, then being asked by Jesus to gather with him on the mountain in Galilee, you can sort of imagine how they might be looking at the journey ahead for them. They were looking at a few years ahead which were completely unknown, completely unpredictable. And all of it in the shadow of a mighty Roman Empire, both threatening and overwhelming. Something to make them feel very small and uncertain. They must have been thinking to themselves, how are we going to know how to live? How would these three years that we've spent with Jesus, day and night, well, what would those three years really mean now, out in the big wide world? And what would happen when they were scattered and on their own. Well, as we gather this morning in our different homes, watching in our different contexts, in our different ways, we must be asking pretty much the same things. How will we know how to live in this very different world, in the shadow of something that feels threatening and at times overwhelming, that can make us feel small and afraid? And as we look back at whether it's 15 or 20 years or 15 days as part of the family of all souls. What will that time together mean now out in that big wide world? What will happen now? We're scattered. And now we're not sure how to live. Well, I've chosen this reading for this morning simply because it marks for those disciples, those first followers of Jesus, both an end and a beginning. Because Jesus' words to them, I found such an encouragement this week in helping me think and decide how I'm going to act and how I'm going to pray as we head on an unknown journey together. Now Matthew puts together what is perhaps a, a short summary of maybe a much longer conversation. But in it, I think you'll find three mountains. Now, only one of them is perhaps immediately obvious. But between those three mountains... I think Jesus reminds his first disciples and us today of his kingship, of his love, and of his presence with them. Now, the first mountain is the obvious one. It's there right at the beginning of the passage. They're there on the mountainside with Jesus. So we're going to come back to that at the end. But Matthew has put together his account of Jesus' life in his gospel very carefully. And he knows that Jesus' words here will draw his readers, his listeners, and us too, if we notice it, back to two other mountains earlier in the gospel. The first is what we now call the Mount of Transfiguration, but would never have been known in such ways to them. It would have simply been, do you remember that mountain where we saw Jesus as king? It's there in Matthew 17. And on that mountain, Jesus, his friends, get a glimpse of his glory, of his majesty, of his kingship, alongside Moses and Elijah. They're reminded that this is God with us. God made flesh, the one in whom the maker of the universe leaves real human footprints in the mud and mess of his creation. And now here in Matthew 28, Jesus takes them back there. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the, of the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
You saw me. You know who I am. You saw me on the mountain and now remember me in the valley. I was king on that mountain. I am king in the valley that is to come. And remember that you are first and foremostly disciples, followers of that king, the one who is king all the time. As we remember that Jesus is the king on the mountain and in the valley, we're also given that life-defining job of inviting others to know and to follow King Jesus for themselves. I wonder who invited you first to know King Jesus. It might have been your mum. It might have been your dad. It might have been another family member, a friend at school. I wonder whom you will invite to know King Jesus for themselves on this next part of this unpredictable journey. But I wonder too, as we watch the news and perhaps feel very small beside a very big world that feels chaotic and broken, whether we will remember with those first disciples that Jesus is king, king of kings on the mountain and in the valley. But there's a second mountain top too, because I think Jesus' words would have taken them back and certainly were intended to take Matthew's readers back to a mountain even earlier in the gospel. Matthew 5, the mountainside where Matthew sets Jesus' teaching and what we now call the Beatitudes, or what we sometimes today uh, remind ourselves as the beautiful attitudes. I'd love to suggest as a great challenge for these next few weeks, reading and chewing over Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, because on that mountainside, Jesus taught his followers how to respond to the love of God, how to respond to grace. Because when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, everything that Jesus said is couched in terms of God is doing this, therefore. Being a follower of King Jesus is first of all to respond to his love. We often say it, don't we, here in church. God makes the first move to us in Jesus. He loves us before we can ever love him. And he calls us simply to love him back. And in loving him back, to love all and everyone that he's made, and to care for this beautiful world he's given us as a gift. So why don't you go back to that Matthew 5 mountainside? Read how to apply being merciful, being peacemakers, being salt and light, loving our enemies, being generous to those in need. I wonder when you and I meet again, when we gather together in this church and celebrate, I wonder what people will have seen of us living out that love of God in our lives. Online, in our homes, in our generosity to others. So there's a mountaintop that reminds us that Jesus is king, king on the mountain, king in the valley. There's a mountaintop that reminds us that we are to obey him, to respond to his love so that others can see him in us. And then finally, there is that mountain where they're standing right there, right then. Jesus called them back to Galilee, where for many of them it was home. We're here in church, which is a building that I've called home for some 15 years. And many of you have called home for longer, for shorter. But it reminds us of those times that we've been called to gather to worship. But what now? What do we do with no church building that we can use? 
What do we do when we can't call one another to gather together to be with Jesus? It's funny, I'd thought that this Sunday would be about me having to leave this lovely building. But it feels like we've left together. What now? Well, for Jesus' followers, they realize that they can't come to Jesus anymore like they used to. And so Jesus promises something new, something different, something that is true for you and for me, for our journey on from here. And it's this, that even though they can't come to him anymore in the same way, he comes to them. Actually, that's true all the way through the Bible. It's true in the Garden of Eden when God comes walking in the cool of the afternoon to find Adam and Eve. It's true in exile as the prophets see that astonishing picture of God's chariot coming to find them in exile. It's true at Christmas. God coming to us in the baby that is Jesus. It's true on the day of Pentecost when God comes to us, to his people, in the gift of his spirit. And now Jesus comes to you and to me in your home, whether you're alone or with family, at your workplace, to those of you on the front line in the NHS, in the police and the fire service, stocking pharmacists and supermarkets. It's for you whether you're on your own or holding a household together. It's for you if you're worried about money. It's for you as you hold together your mental health. Jesus says, behold, I am with you forever. Three mountains. The mountain of the transfiguration. Jesus who is king. King now, king forever. The mountain of those beatitudes that reminds us that Jesus' love is for us and we are called simply to respond to him, to love him back and to love all that we meet. And the mountain which for us maybe is this church that reminds us that just as he called us to be with him and will do again soon, right now he says, I am with you. There'll be some watching today who've never known what it is to have Jesus come to you where you are. Who've maybe assumed it was about going to a building or about Jesus being with somebody else. I'm going to pray. It's a really simple prayer. It's a prayer that says thank you to Jesus that he's king. It's a prayer that says thank you to Jesus for his love in his life and death and resurrection. It says thank you to Jesus for his presence with us by his spirit. And it's a prayer that simply says yes, that we want him to be with us on this journey together. So can I invite you wherever you are simply to pray. And as I finish praying, Donna is going to come and continue to lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for that, for the reminder that he is king, king on the mountaintop and king in the valley of shadows. Thank you for the reminder that he is the one whom we respond to, who we love back, even as he loves us. Thank you that he is the one who comes to us by his spirit, who forgives us, who gives us grace because of his life and death and resurrection. Jesus, today, for the first time or for the thousandth time, I say yes 
to you. Come and fill me afresh with yourself and help me to respond to you, to the needs of others, to the needs of this world, both now and forevermore.